Hey everybody, I am Jeremy. And I'm Jonathan. And we are the Evangelicals. Hey Jeremy, welcome back to the Evangelicals podcast. I, I know, I, I was very sad that I couldn't be in Chicago with you, but I was very thankful that she was willing to be on the podcast. That was nice. You did a great job, by the way. It was beautiful. So we, I did the the interview with uh, Dr. Kristen Dumay was the last episode of the podcast. In case you were listening out of order, and I did, I recorded it both with my computer and with an iPhone. The problem with the computer audio was that it gathered. There was this uh, some sort of air handling system that was really prominent in that version of the recording. Well, the iPhone recording, you know, I would hold it close to my mouth and I would try not to invade her personal space too much. Well, in case you missed it, in case you don't recognize this, I talk really loud. I mean, I'm just kind of, you know, if, when I'm talking in, into a microphone and I'm kind of in the podcast version of myself, it's pretty bombastic. Well, Dr. DeMay is very soft-spoken. So you've got me holding the phone close to my mouth and then I, can, then I put it over into her personal space and she's talking, it's kind of quiet. So I just want all of you audio engineers out there to know that I recognize. Oh, I didn't even, I thought it, it was great. It was no, good. No, thank you. It was thank good. you. Yeah, and you know, you were on, you know, on site. You weren't in this nice space that we get to have here at, yeah. at Lima Community. So it's, you know. Yeah, and she was she was very gracious. One of the things that, I said to one of my friends that was what was with me at the conference when I went up and met Dr. Demay and came and sat back down, I said I said to him, I said, She might not be an egomaniac. She like she was just so gracious and available. You know, and um I've I've because of my role at Olivet where we would bring in uh nationally syndicated speakers uh for the chapel role that I had there, I've met a lot of people that really you know, I, I don't know, in regards of book sales or uh, syndication of their content over the airwaves uh, are somewhat of a big deal. And you can really you can really tell a lot about a person by just the way that they treat the average person that they don't know who it is. So when I go up to Dr. DeMay, she had never seen me or met me before. We had just corresponded via email. And so, oh, um, yeah, she was very gracious. And so, yeah, thank you, Dr. DeMay, if, if you're out there. For, for being a part of the podcast, but the our conversation today, I want to in some ways be a continuation of that conversation because there were elements of that little half an hour episode that I wanted to be respectful of her time and that we couldn't go into a lot more conversation. But I find myself, Jeremy, today just thinking about evangelicalism as, you know, kind of a movement or an agreement of various churches and um, I, I find myself to be sad in the sense that I don't know that a lot of, I want to make, be careful, generalizations are always dangerous. Right, right. The more, the more people that I meet that are associated with evangelicalism, they use that title as kind of leverage in the market of Christian consumerism. So interestingly, Dr. DeMay, you know, she doesn't identify herself as an evangelical. She said she never has, which I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah, that is. Yet, as it pertains to evangelicalism, though, that is also her brand, you know? Right. I mean, it's... Um, She's speaking to evangelicals. Yeah. And she's being 
courted by evangelicals. She's working at what many understand to be an evangelical college, you know? And it's just interesting how we, in North America right now, we casually disassociate from things that we are 100% associated with. (laughs) Well, I think it's very popular right now to say I no longer identify as that. Like there's this big move of whether you call like cancel culture or whatnot that I, I no longer call myself a Christian or I no longer call myself an evangelical. And, and I feel like what people are pushing against is, is this kind of voting block that tends to lend itself to a certain um, ideology and I think that that's very troubling for a lot of people, and they don't want to be associated with that. And I think that's one of the reasons we call the podcast what it is, is trying to recapture what does it mean, once again, to be good news, and what does it mean to to, to be a follower of the one who, who came to say this, this is what this kingdom looks like, and this is who God is calling you to be. This is what the point was the whole time. Uh, we kind of got off track a little bit. And and so I just think that it is inter- interesting, yeah, that she doesn't even associate on some level with uh, that, with evangelicals. Uh, and once again, it doesn't seem like she has her whole life. And yet um, she's getting, I think, a lot of praise, but also a lot of heat from um, from that very group. Uh, yeah, so it's just kind of interesting. And they've, they've kind of supported her through book sales and all kinds of um, different adventures and obviously she's traveling and speaking and, well, yeah, and, and talking and such it's interesting i mean i i see her as a sister in many senses you know it's just uh you know and we to your point about uh maybe it's cancel culture maybe it's uh it's it's something about in it seems like in our current culture people don't want to lose themselves in an association hmm. You know, uh, and maybe cancel culture wasn't right, but I was just trying to think that people are leaving or disassociating themselves, yeah. maybe a so better word. Even uh, I've started my premarital counseling with a line similar to this, kind of depending on the context. I mean, it's not just an automatic phrase that comes out of my mouth right when I sit down with a young couple. But sometime in our first counseling session, I will say something to the effect of if you two are looking to maintain your autonomous selves in this marriage, then I'm not interested in marrying you. Mm. Because marriage is about disassociation. It's about laying down your life. It's about giving up your identity for the sake of the other. The gospel of Jesus, Jesus says anyone who wants to save their life is going to lose it. Yeah. Only the people who lose their life via association with the gospel, they're the ones that are going to save it. And what is evangelical, oiongelion, in Greek, but it's this it's this this bearer of the gospel, right? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so it is just it's just interesting to me. I I totally hear that people don't want to be associated with the you know the the politics, but I also have come to a point in my own life where I do want to give my life to something that's bigger than me. Actually, I don't think that I'm the savior of the world. <laughs> I want to be a part of the Savior's movement, and there's this movement that's been going on, particularly in North America over the last 250 years, that there's been a lot of good and a lot of bad, just like every other Christian movement, if you look at it for a span of 250 years. And 
it's called evangelicalism. And that's why we have this podcast is because we're in conversation with people that are committed to the gospel in kind of a free church Christian uh, loose, you know, loose affiliate, free, free denomination kind of way. You know, the Church of Nazarene, we're holiness, but there's a lot of freedom in, in that we're not, you know, as rigid as a lot of other maybe mainliners as far as polity is concerned. I want to, I want to, I want to say something before we get going. Maybe oh, I, we've already gotten going. The engine is hot. We're we're <laughs> moving down the tracks, I guess. Uh, there, there's a historian named David Bebbington who has actually defined what an evangelical is in our current culture because I do I do also think that we have not defined well I think people are asking the question constantly what even is an evangelical okay so an evangelical according to David Bebbington and this is kind of becoming an operative definition of an evangelical is someone who cares about these four emphases the bible so people that care about the Bible can be fundamentalists, right. but they could also be progressive scholars. But the Bible is central for theology. So uh, evangelical is someone who, for which Bible the Bible is central to their theology. The cross, uh, different evangelicals talk about atonement differently, but all evangelicals would say something very significant happened in the cross of Christ. Or maybe for use of a preposition of different preposition on the cross of christ right right right. you know yeah uh there is an emphasis in evangelicals of conversion uh evangelicals generally speaking are not just satisfied with doing good works even though that's going to be the next category of evangelicalism but evangelicals are concerned with some sort of heart transformation or covenant relationship that comes out of, you know, conversion, consecration, that there is this turn that evangelicals look for their children to make and look for other people coming to, into their fellowship to make. So conversion is a part of evangelicalism. And even in our own church, we talk about salvation differently, but we lift up the role of membership, of, of saying, you know, you're you're committing to live by coming to Jesus. You're committing to live a particular way in the world. So that's a kind of conversion, you yeah, know, in yeah, a sense. Yeah. And then activism would be the fourth one that evangelicals historically have been very involved in societal ac- action, uh, whether it was women's suffrage, the abolition of slavery, the temperance movement. I mean, evangelicals are right in the middle of all of these major social movements that happen, particularly in the United States, in Great Britain, for sure. Um, and so emphasis on the, the, the Bible, the cross, conversion, and activism. These are kind of four, four things that loosely hold together these various denominations and movements that would call themselves evangelicals. And so maybe, maybe we should have done that a long time ago as a podcast is maybe define it more readily. But that's actually one of the things that I picked up at the conference is all these different people are coming and talking and they, all of them are agreeing that these are, although we understand these four things differently, they are four things that are very important to us and we lift them up. So would he say, there's just a couple of questions, um, would he say that if one of those things is absent, then you can't call that thing an evangelical or it's not part of the evangelical movement? I, so I would just, let's, let's give an example. So The one that comes to mind is activism, is a lot of times this whole social gospel movement, there's been, kind of been a big push against it, you know, and it's been called socialism. And so 
that that the gospel is for me personally and me getting saved and me going to heaven. And so there's this big um, movement that that has since this whole social gospel came out push against it on some well, level. Does that make sense? So, well, but question? I would also, but then I would, I think that the the counter argument would be, yeah. So those people, the social gospel people, would be evangelicals. But the anti-social gospel people who are active in other ways, so like um, they tend to be anti-abortionists, right? Sure. Those people would – they still would have – it's it's hard to – it is hard to find an evangelical fellowship that doesn't have some bent on social activism even though – So it's a pretty big tent. It's huge. Yes, yes, yes. It's not a small tent. Yeah. The four things are not making evangelicalism small. They're saying it's actually helpful – so y'all because, like, come. Yeah, it's like, you know what? Like, you're wanting to say you're not an evangelical, but you are. Right. We are. There could be evangelical Catholics. And I, I know that that makes that, according to Bebbington's, Bebbington's definition, because you'll notice Bebbington's definition has nothing to do with Protestant. It has nothing to do with Catholic. It has nothing to do with ecclesiology. Mm-hmm. It's very, it's very soteriological in nature. It's very, um, uh, kind of, uh, ideological ideological maybe i mean i think you could take the word probably out i would say there are yeah you know like i don't know that yep. that it's up for debate i didn't you know you think of uh dorothy day and mother Teresa, and you know I, I would imagine they would fit into those four categories oh for sure easily yeah and if they don't then <laughs> who does you yeah. know like and so i just feel like that's awesome i mean i don't know it, it's it's really neat I, I just think that like i said there's been um just even with the whole understanding once again if 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 it's this voting block i i think where it's it's hard for me to kind of think through is once again i think the cross has huge ramifications for how we are in the world um i i think they the the understanding of the bible right and and i love the fact that that it's the cross in relation to an understanding of how we read the Bible has huge ramifications for how we are in the world and, and interact with people and, and especially people who aren't like us and probably people who disagree with us. Um, you know, you, you can't look at Jesus getting nailed to a cross, asking for forgiveness. And then somehow in our political rhetoric, we can somehow demean other people in such a way that makes them less than and, and and say well but, but yeah I'm still this evangelical Christian I guess and, and so I just think that 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 what I love about it once again is I think it gets to the heart of what it means to be a follower of the one who once again was on you know his cross and and how do we live that out and and I think that that we that's where I feel like the big struggle is is people who claim to be evangelical but but are doing things that that relate in no way to who we think Jesus was or who he's calling us to be, and yet somehow they can still carry that mantle. And I think that's why a lot of people don't want to be associated with that because they do want to lean more into who Jesus was and who he called us to be. And they don't see that in 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 the political world and unfortunately sometimes probably in the church world. And, and maybe it's because, once again, in the church world, we're leaning into this national, this big understanding, rather than what does this mean for my local community and how do I live this out with the people that I interact with every day? Yeah, I, I want to reiterate 
what you're saying. I think that one of the problems with the market of Christian books, evangelicalism, like the Zondervan Publishing House and um, various various evangelical publications, maybe Thomas Nelson falls in there, I don't know for sure. I, I don't I really don't know their ideological lines. I just know that they're evangelical in in a sense. Um, what happens in in our what's happening in our current culture is that there are um, there are evangelical voices that become the mainstream, and then they get the power to say this is what evangelicalism looks like. And it's actually the people that are on top in the evangelical market right now that are nar- narrowing the category. Mm-hmm. You know, and the person that did this, I mean, I think probably most explicitly in the 20th century um, would have been probably Jerry Falwell Mm. with this idea of the moral majority. And he somehow found himself in a position where he got to define what the moral priorities were, you know, and, and immigration didn't make the list. Yeah. You know, and we all, and we all know that we, we know that that's a problem. Right. But it didn't it didn't make the list because he was the one making the list because he was the one who had kind of established this significant church in college. And, um, you know, and then, you know, Dr. James Dobson, who was a Nazarene, you know, um, you know, he has also found himself in a place of prominence where he has uh, he, he has called the he has called evangelicals, particularly in politics, to vote for power not for morals you know if you want to look if you think that i'm lying you can go find his letter online that he wrote during the uh the 2015-16 election cycle you know and and so but then what happens then is that people who had identified as evangelical they look at people like Falwell and they look at people like Dobbs and they say you know what i don't agree yeah and if they're the people that are if they are the people that define what it means to be evangelical, well, then I don't want to. I don't want to be. And th- the thing is, they don't. Like, they don't. Right. You can't. You, Jeremy Thompson, cannot today define what it means to be an evangelical. Jesus is the one who defines what it means to be an evangelical. No, I think this is this is great. I just talked about um, our main doctrine in our tribe, the holiness and and how uh, there was this lady, and I, we may have even talked about it on the podcast before, but um, Mildred Bangs Winecoop. Yes. Who talked about her big thing in, in Wesleyan circles. She was this, a, what, 70s theologian? Yeah. Would that be right? She wrote a book called Theology of Love, which is 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 really it's good. Um, but she said the biggest thing, and, and I think Wesley gave mention of it too, was this understanding of the credibility gap, that you're saying one thing, but you're living something that's 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 way different. And I think that that's what is the hardest for, I think, the younger generation is, and, and you know, I feel like that's that was Nietzsche's problem, right? Like, I feel like it's not a new um, issue that we uh, have struggled with or tried to figure out, but it I don't know that we want to talk about it a whole lot because we like to um, to set the agenda or we like to to have that power. We like to to be in control and vulnerability is just not something that we do very well in the church. We cover up a lot of things. We sweep some things under the rug. And and I think the only way to get at um what does it really mean to to follow this one once again who calls us to take up our cross and follow him 
is we have to be authentic. And when those moments happen that either we don't know something or we mess up or we, um, we, we, we do things and, and maybe the church does things or Christians have done things that don't line up with who Jesus has called us to be. Once again, we feel like if we admit those things that somehow it makes us less or our message isn't true or, um, or we, we were taking a few steps back, but maybe the better message is, is a God who is journeying with us to make us more like him. And that maybe we never get to the point where we've, we've arrived. We are always on this journey of trying to learn and be like him. Um, however we can do that. Well, and one of the problems of those mainstream voices is that evangelicalism, particularly in the 1970s and 80s in North America, it came, evangelicalism became somehow about being a part of a, as you said, a national movement. Well, evangelicalism has never been a part, has never been about any sort of nationalism or national movement. Evangelicalism is about the gospel, which... I think in Acts 1, it says Jerusalem, so my hometown, Judea, Samaria, so my state, the one next to me, uh, what is it, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth? Yeah, we like the ends of the earth part, but we don't love the Jerusalem We don't like the Samaria part. Yeah, we really don't like the Samaria part. I mean, seriously, you know, I mean, uh, Californians. Right. You know, aren't they going to hell in a handbasket? Right. Isn't that, you know what I'm saying? I mean, like, right. this is how we this is how we think we're so politically divided that we we don't even. Oh man, we and and you know, and maybe you know, maybe for the sake of the analogy, maybe Samaria is actually Mexico. Do you know mm. what I'm saying? Like, yeah. maybe it's the country right next door. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. That we're like brutally um, exclusive towards. You know what I'm saying? I, I was reading uh, N.T. Wright a little bit, and he was talking about Acts chapter 1, and something that really struck me is he related it to um, when you get in the car with younger kids and they start saying, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Because in one of the opening verses, I think it's five or six in, maybe seven, um, the disciples look at Jesus after he's resurrected from the dead and says, now are we going to set up? the kingdom like now is it going to happen did we have to go through all that stuff and now it's going to happen and N.T. Wright makes this great parallel that Jesus looks at him and is like listen if you're the kid asking are we there yet so usually you have a destination you're going somewhere are we there yet and it's almost like Jesus looks at him and says we're never actually going to get to that place that you think that we've been going the whole time because they had this idea of a national we're going to be back in prominence and we're going to be in power and we're going to be in control. And it's almost like Jesus says, you got to get that out of your head because if you keep saying, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Now is it time? Like we're never going to get there because that's not the point of what this whole movement was about to begin with. This, it was always about um, service and and especially serving those who are your next door neighbor or the person right next to you or in your community um, or like you said, and then it gets bigger, but it always starts with the people that, that you do life with. Uh, he didn't start with the ends of the earth. He started with your Jerusalem, the people that, that once again, and then when you do that, then we can move maybe to the next level. And then once we figure that out, then we can go to the next level. And I think that we, 
we want to jump to the 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 national because if we can get this going across the nation then then the spirit's gonna fall but that was the thought of the disciples too and jesus is like no now it's not because that's that was never the goal that was never the point of what this whole thing was about you need to shift your understanding about what the destination is and what that looks like and what i'm calling you to because then and only then um Will you, when you receive the spirit, be able to live into the life that, that I designed from the beginning about what this whole thing was going to be about? You know, I, I am concerned that the national push in evangelicalism has actually affected the way that people in the local church listen to the spirit of God. The, the reason I say that is so many of the people in my congregation, their supplemental works to the Bible are the popular publishing house evangelical voices, you know? And so they'll read a book by, I feel like I mentioned Craig Groeschel too much. We should probably start paying him or something because I, I use him as... as <laughs> what, about Andy this, Stanley what, straw or Francis man? Chan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, they tell me about these people and they're reading their stuff and they say, you know, we this is this is what we need to do. And I say, well, you know, that's that's what the Lord led Andy Stanley to do in Atlanta, Georgia, twenty years ago. Yeah. That has nothing to do with you and me. Right. We have a JDC across the street that nobody is writing big evangelical books about how to engage young kids in prison. And so we're not interested in it. Right. You know what I'm saying? We have a garden across the street where women are coming out of drug addiction and we can help them and engage them and it's not sexy <laughs> and nobody's writing books about it, you know, but when it comes to like online church or like, uh, you know, um, you know, building campaigns or, uh, particular political movements, everybody's like, that, that's what we need to do. What's well, because what the, that's what the publishing houses are writing about. And I'm like, you guys, like, what if we stopped listening to all of these national evangel? if you could see me, I'm putting evangelical in quotes here. Oh, what if we stopped listening to all these national evangelical voices? And what if we actually just listened to the evangelical voice of the Holy Spirit mm. here and now? And what if we saw our National Association of Evangelicals not as the place giving us direction, but as the place giving us fellowship, mm. giving us encouragement, giving us collaboration? And this is this is my problem, is that I, I see so many pastors going to these conferences to get direction for how to lead their local churches. Right. And there can be good in that, but I have a concern with pastoral ministry that does that has no fuel before the conference. Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm. Like, why am I paying a thousand dollars to go to a conference to listen to a you know a best selling author tell me how to run a church in Lima, Ohio? You know what I'm saying? I mean, like Lima, Ohio is kind of an impoverished um uh, there's there's a lot of good things going on here I mean, there's a lot of industry going on but it's a very it's a very blue collar town that is very different than it's very different than atlanta georgia where andy stanley is it's very different than oklahoma city uh where uh craig rochelle is i mean it's just it's it's a very different culture right and so we're, we're i feel like we're taking missional missional cues in the local church from these national published voices. And I, I just feel like our priorities as far as our relationship as a national association of churches is maybe flipped. I think it would be really helpful if we maybe could 
could see ourselves more as a fellowship, more as a family than an an organization where the the people on the top are the people selling the most books. Yeah, and and I think I mean, yeah, that's that's awesome. I think that what I hear you saying is like the big tent is okay, we're not in this alone. And I, that's and I a think, cool thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I think we need the Andy Stanley's and the Greg, like, I think they have a role to play in the understanding of what the big C church is all about. But once again, their role is not my role and, and, and their, their understanding for how, what the church looks like where they are is definitely not what the church is going to look like in Paulding, Ohio. But we can get this this understanding like, well, nobody knows who I am and nobody, you know, little old Paulding. And, and it's like, but but that's what they said about Nazareth. So maybe maybe that that's okay. You know that, that and once again, just the story of the Bible is God takes the the have-nots and the the small things and the the people that shouldn't be, um, leading or 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 in prominent roles and does something through them so that people won't look and be like, well, yeah, of course it was because of he's the leader. They tried that with Saul and it didn't work out so well. And so because I think God wants to one, God wants to be the one that gets the the honor and the glory that he has taken this weak thing or this small thing and done something huge in the midst of inadequacy in the midst of weakness in the midst of there's no way this should work out or this is the way it should happen and in fact if you were writing a business plan for how you were going to bring about something in the world and create something Jesus doesn't follow the best business plan and and you know the model of of what that would look like is not going to be at the top of the fortune 500 list of how you manage something and roll something out and make something happen. Um, and yet here we are in Lima, Ohio talking about this, this understanding. And so I just think that it's this, you know, you know, I've heard people talk about it's upside down kingdom or it's an alternative or it's, it's just different. And, and we keep falling into the trap, into the narrative of let's do it like everybody else does it. Right. Like first Samuel eight, when they looked at all the other nations and said, we want a King like all the other nations. And we keep falling into that cycle of let's just do it like them, or let's do it like that, or let's do it like this person did because their church exploded. And maybe, maybe it was never meant to be um, big, but always small groups of people who are really trying to, to live out loving God and loving others to the best of their ability um, with the people that, that God has given them and the place that they live and and understanding that maybe it's about the ripple effect and not about the big splash in the pond. It's just about the little ripples that move out. Maybe that's the Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the yeah, earth. Is It's the that. ripple effect. I love it's that. not the let's throw the big rock and make the big splash. But that's messy, and it takes time, and and it is hard. Well, it's not instant gratification. Yeah, exactly right. And yeah. and and once again, as a business model, it's not the best. Um, and yet, if you uh, go through acts, it seems like they were meeting in homes and meeting in small groups and living life together and taking care of each other and selling stuff for each other. 
uh, if somebody had a need and 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 it was about doing this thing together with the people and then those people went to their friends and they went to their friends and they went to their friends and went back to their communities and and transformed through those small groups and what that looked like okay so i did not say to you let's talk about this on the episode nor you to me oh, but boy. it's just i'm just thinking about it as we're kind of wrapping up some of the things we had talked about talking about jeremy we just some big things happened in the last week okay. we just came through election season okay right for the house and the senate yeah and uh uh big don just made announced. a made a big announcement last night was it yesterday that he's that he's uh, going to run for president again in 2024, and I guess um, can we speculate a little bit? Yeah. So prior to the prior to the 16 election, yeah, I was convinced that there was no way that the celebrity apprentice guy was <laughs> going to be the president of the United States, and I told people this, and I was like, "You guys, like, this is the moment where." the Republican party realizes that they're on a circus ride, you know what I'm saying? And the clowns running the show and like, there's no way this is going to happen. And I was, my mind was blown. Yeah. I really, my mind was blown when, when um, Donald Trump became the president of the United States. And, um, you know, that we're kind of in this, in this weird situation now politically where a lot of evangelicals did not vote for Donald Trump. Um, I And I, I think I said this on the podcast previously, but I'll say it again. Um, and I believe that I have data to back up this hypothesis. I don't think that, I don't think that Joe, Joe Biden won the election in spite of evangelicals. I think that Joe Biden won the election because of evangelicals. I know personally dozens of evangelicals that voted for Trump in 2016 that voted for Biden in 2020. Mm -hmm. And and like, I, I really do think that um, people, you know, people polls, and, and this is something that I'm just finding out as I'm doing my own research and my PhD work. Polls often tell the story that the people who run the polls want them to tell. Absolutely, yeah. And so like, yes, you can find tons of evangelicals that voted for Donald Trump. But if you actually try, I think you can actually find a lot of evangelicals that voted for Joe Biden. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that as a voting block, I don't think that evangelicals are as monolithic as um, the liberal or conservative media would like to say. I think for the liberal media, they like evangelicals to be on a unified political front because it makes kind of an e it makes it easier to kind of bash them or kick against them. And I think that conservatives like to say, oh, if you're evangelical, you need to vote this way so that they can... Um, because there's the argument in evangelicalism, like if you if you don't vote with, you're voting against. You know what right, I'm right, saying? Right, right, right. Um, what What do you think, Jeremy? Do you think? Uh, and we're just you guys. We're we know that we're speculating, but I'm just curious. I just do you think do you think that um the Republican Party will um side with Donald Trump, or do you think that there will be a a division? Like, will this will will his choice to run for president again? Will it kind of divide the party in a way where people um, start splitting or do you think it will be sort of a strong arm uh, where he you know takes the takes the nomination again and there are people you know that would have preferred him not be there I mean Mike Pence in an interview uh, last week pretty strongly said you know I hope we have better options in 2024 he didn't say, I hope he's like we will have better options he did 
<laughs> I put the hope in. I put you the did. hope in his mouth. I put. Sorry, I'm sorry, Mike Pence, for not quoting you. But the thing is, then, then Donald Trump announced this. Announced that he's real. That he's going again. It's like, well, well, Mike. I don't know. I. You know, I. I have no clue. I. Here's what I hope, though. Here's what I think. Something that I saw in the last Tuesday. Um. I what I hope so uh, there was a candidate um, who said and we you know we won't mention any names but they believed that the church should run the government oh that they believed that that the church should rise up and the church should be in control of the government the hard part with that is and I'm not the one I didn't come up with this I heard this on other podcasts too but like, what church are you talking about? Are you talking about the white church? Are you talking about the African-American church, which most often doesn't vote in line with the white church? Are you talking about the Hispanic church, which is a big church um, in movement in our country who may vote differently? And my, my, my guess is, is they, she meant, like, her understanding of— Well, and I would even say, Jeremy, I mean, those are all racial, racial distinctions that you just made. But I think that if you were to look at mainline denominations, even, I think you would see very different. Sure. Like I think I think if you were to look at the Church of the Nazarene across the board and look at Presbyterians, I so think yeah, looks, yeah, I yeah. Think it looks, I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's not just. But a race when thing. this person said this, they had yes. a very specific understanding. Touche. I just want to their church yeah. probably their right. understanding right. of what their the church narrow, is. Their but narrow, the evangelical yeah. movement is way bigger than it's that. Huge. And for some reason, we don't include them in that national conversation. Yes. And so my hope is. That no matter what Donald Trump does or this other person does, that through this election cycle, we might have bigger eyes for what God is doing through all the churches. And, and I feel like something that happened uh, last Tuesday is there was a candidate who morally we would not say fits with with who we are. Um, and then the other candidate that this person was going against was a pastor of a church. Um, and a certain segment of the evangelicals didn't vote for the guy who was a pastor in a local church. They voted for the other guy who we would say we have no moral connection to whatsoever, which should be very telling, I feel like. Um, well, I don't think that we perceive people as our brothers in Christ if they're not in our party. Yeah. I mean, I think that we, I think that we feel stronger allegiance or alliance to somebody who would call themselves a Republican or a Democrat than someone that would call themselves a Christian. I mean, that's just become very apparent in the last five to 10 years. So we say the word evangelical, but we have a, once again, in the voting block, it's a specific skin color. Um, and there's other segments of what we would call the movement of God that they're not even talking about, um, which I think, so my hope is that we would understand how big the tent is that there are a lot of people who are our brothers and sisters who may not vote like us, who may not think like us, who come from different backgrounds, which causes them to vote the way they do and have different histories, which causes them to vote the way they do. Yeah. And, and my hope is, is that in, in the local church, we can have better conversations about the four things that you mentioned and how many people are um, a part of that. And, and that we would do our best to to make the understanding of what an evangelical is um, 
what am I doing with the people God has given me? And, you know, I think Wesley said, vote for whoever you want to pray for the other person and don't have any ill will towards somebody who voted, who didn't vote like you did that we could look at the election like that, but that my call to be who Jesus is calling me to be has nothing to do with that, but has everything to do with, can I love the kid at the juvenile detention center and the, 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 the women who are recovering from drug addiction, who are starting a garden. Can I love those people? Um, because I think true change will happen in the world when we have those eyes and not when we have the eyes of, if we could just get this person elected or we could just get this, whatever. And, and then we might have eyes to see, um, there's a lot of brothers and sisters who yeah. are following after Jesus. And, um, and so whatever happens to, to Trump and all the, I mean, I, you know, buckle up because I feel like it's going to get, uh, I mean, I can't, this is the moment you think it can't get any crazier. Here we go. Okay, um, so, okay so you're going to be so annoyed because you just made a beautiful pastoral moment. No, it's good. I'm not annoyed. But I, but I want to know, do you think do you think Trump will be elected in 2024? Do you think so? I, I don't. Um, based on even what happened in the midterm elections. Yeah. I, 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 I think there's a a growing um, distaste for how he chooses to right. to um, carry himself. So the thing is, so the thing is, I would completely agree with you. But again, you don't know. <laughs> six you years don't ago, know. I that's was right. completely wrong. So that's what I'm saying. <laughs> but I think if we get bogged down in that, yeah, it's the first yeah. Samuel eight. We want to do it like everybody else is doing yeah, it. We right. want to be involved right. in what everybody else is involved yeah. in. Yeah. And my prayer is, is that yeah. we would not fall into that trap again. Um, yep. or maybe continue to fall on that trap, um, but that we would have a better understanding of am I, am I loving the people that I interact with every day? And because um, if I can't do that, then it really doesn't matter who gets elected. Um, if I can't love the people that, that I do life with and, and try to be there for them and journey with them, then, then what else matters, I guess? I don't know. Maybe that's, that's a wrong way to think. I think it's nice. I think it's <laughs> great. The Evangelicals podcast is recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio.